Hello everybody, this is Dr. Fred. I am responsible, I am accountable, I am capable of assisting people to find their true voice and then deliver it effectively into the world around us. With 40 years in mental health, 32 of them as a psychiatrist, and then a massive amount of conversations, including podcasting and expert speaking, keynote speaking, I have the opportunity to really see the magic that it takes to find one's authentic self and then deliver it effectively into the world. And if you're like me, you can see that now more than ever, that's what's called for. So today is that day. Now is that time. Come forth. Join me in the broadcast. You'll see on the other side of this at True Voice with Dr. Fred. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Dr. Fred, and I am so glad to be on this call with you. You know, each and every week, I look forward to this. I call it my international podcast because I have really no idea where you are. I have no idea where you are at this time or what time it is or, you know, what you're up to. Like, are you driving? Are you listening with your family? Are you catching this in a rerun? Is there, you know, are you walking? Are you walking the dog? Are you, you know, maybe jogging or maybe you're flipping through channels and you landed here? And whatever the case may be, I do welcome you to the True Voice podcasting or we should say True Voice with Dr. Fred podcast. As we've done previously, I do have my uh, best friend and co-host with us today. Uh, Sam Morris is just a, a phenomenal human being. And uh, you know, we have great conversations all the time. So one of the things that we decide when we come on together is what kind of conversations can we have today that will be uh, entertaining, will be educational, probably a bit of laughs, but also like a down-to-earth way of looking at how the world works or how relationships work or what's up with humans or what's up with non-humans and, and really looking at... Um, communication and connection and trends and who, who knows there's really nothing off limits when when Sam and I get going so uh, I'm on my way to his house actually I'm about I don't know 25 minutes away but we had to stop and do this uh, because of the timing issue so we'll probably be having some kind of pizza or Thai food or Chinese food here in about I don't know an hour and 20 minutes but for now there's Sam across the city lines I'm in Ventura and he's in Ojai California. Sam, welcome to the True Voice with Dr. Fred show. As usual, it's just a deep pleasure to have you here as a co-host. Thanks, Fred. It's great to be here. And it's uh, funny that you're only like 25 minutes away from me right now, and yet we're doing this like this. Um, you know, you're, you're, you, you introduced by uh, saying you never know where people are, you're listening and so forth in space and time and all of that. And I'm like, well, that's probably, that's true for me too. Where am I in space and time? And can I actually prove that I am where I think I am in space and time? And so I, you've already got me thinking here, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, the space and time continuum starts to be a little bit debatable uh, once Sam and I start going here. And you know, what is the deal with space and time? And and really, like in other words, this is a this is a piece of conversation that us humans have uh, just bought as being true. There's very few humans who are going to deny the reality of space and time, except you know, it seems the more evolved we get, the more we start seeing that space and time are simply. 
uh, very convenient constructs to help uh, satisfy our mind from just going insane, I suppose, something like this. Well, you know, you're you're absolutely spot on about this. And uh, it is, I was actually just, I believe, yesterday listening to a podcast between Lex Friedman uh, and Donald Hoffman. Donald Hoffman is a cognitive scientist at UC uh, Irvine and the author of The Case Against Reality. And interestingly enough, he was talking about this topic specifically and how the space-time continuum, uh, the whole Einstein uh, perspective is about to be completely squashed uh, by, um, by new revelations in cognitive science. And essentially that uh, we're nowhere near being able to uh, gather a, a, a proper understanding about uh, about the the nature of reality as we construct it. No, no, no real. Maybe we can we can include space time as a, uh, a, a, a something that has to fit in within other frameworks but it is not going to stand alone as the essential framework of uh, that all discussion revolves around that it's a gateway into other discussions and that it has to be included in a larger discussion, but it doesn't come close to a, uh, a theory of everything essentially. And the expectation is that we will not ever really come close to a theory of everything and uh, essentially, Donald Hoffman's uh, argument is that uh, what recent discoveries in cognitive science are showing us is that reality as we create it is not anything like what real reality actually is. And that as uh, in our evolutionary process has given us perspective and has allowed us to have this extraordinary ability to share perspective and relate on perspective, but that those perspectives inherently are not speaking to reality, but are ways of navigating through some sort of reality, which we cannot possibly comprehend. Fascinating. That's just amazing. You know, I I can imagine a time in the future as if there is a future, but for now, let's use the construct of in the future, where in the future, we are looking back or whatever that is then going to be called, looking back at this particular space uh, and, and, and time and saying something like, you remember when people used to believe that there was space and time, you know, it's like, we'll be like the flat earth concept. Like we, yeah, your grandpa believed in space and time too. You know, it's like, uh, oh yeah, he was, he was idiotic. He was like, you know, um, you know, he was like, uh, uh, archaic or, or, you know, it's like, this idea of like, where are we? Why are we here? What day is it? What time is it? You know, it's all, I've been reading myself a a couple high level uh, pieces of, you know, the only time that we live in, of course, is is this thing called now. And, And even now is an interesting concept because now in and of itself takes into consideration not now, which would be something about space and time rather than mm-hmm. really getting that all we have is this now thing. 
Yeah. But when we say now, we're juxtaposing now to something called the past and something called the future that this isn't. Right. You know, right. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and so, um, you know, it, it, it leaves, look, you know, today I would say, okay, so let's continue. I don't know how to really get away from this notion of space and time uh, very long other than in theory. But, you know, I've had some conversations today where I think I started off the day with a, uh, with a keynote speaking thing at, at, at the Rotary Club. And then I had a conversation with my daughter. I had a podcast. I had two coaching sessions. Um, I had a, a, a mastermind that I delivered and a webinar that I delivered. And it's not even, you know, six o'clock based on time. I guess it's a little after six. And it seems like that in that period of time, uh, which I guess would be about eight hours or nine hours, that I went through multiple changes with multiple different sort of hats to wear or roles to play. And, and somehow it gets manifest in my own experience as being a lot. Something yeah. called a lot. Okay. Or, sure, sure. Like, it like sounds multiple, like a lot. That, it, yeah, it uh, that, like a lot. Yeah, my experience of that sounds like a lot too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Except what is a lot? I mean, if we just have now all the time, there's no a lot. Every single now experience is just another now experience about as equal as the now experience we had one second ago. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a prevailing conversation that it's a lot too. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, that's very interesting. You know, what that brings up for me is the uh, way in which uh, each one of these things that you're doing requires psychological processing power and it requires energetic vitality. It is each one of these things is uh, memory intensive using the resources of your mind and body uh, to to be able to deliver, to be able to stay present and move with the conversations that are happening, uh, whereas um, there and that's juxtaposed against the possibility of basically not uh, being active in any particular way. In which case, you would say, "I didn't really do a lot because I wasn't." Uh, using my mind and body to process in new information, take in information, assimilate it through my existing frameworks of consciousness, and then and then feedback that information based on what I'm seeing, et cetera. So that's a there are a lot of cognitive tasks that have to happen in order for all of those things to happen. So I get in that sense, it is a lot. And then I suppose one might also, there's, there's also the possibility, I'm just thinking of uh, someone who might be, could have spent an entire day just ruminating and not particularly doing anything in particular. And to them, they might feel like they've done a lot too, because they're ruminating all over the course of a single day. So anyway, it's just interesting how uh, I think it's, a, it's, yeah, this notion of a lot versus a little is, is a interesting concept. Yeah. You know, we say, we say that we are, are doing, you know, and one of the things, so Sam and I visited, uh, we visited a, a close, a close buddy uh, who we generally know um, online, uh, um, 
uh, a friend extraordinaire who I probably should have on the show some sooner than later uh, yesterday. And we were in, uh, you know, actual physical contact at his home uh, on the Pacific Coast Highway. And, uh, you know, I actually spoke with Stash about an hour ago as we were driving by his house on the way up here. And we were able to uh, distinguish the qualitative difference between what we now are causing doing, you know, we call this doing something, right? Like we're actually talking, we're both talking to boxes. And this isn't very far away from ruminating. Because we're actually talking to a box. Yeah. We're not yeah. talking to a human. We're talking yeah. to a box. And we might as well be talking to a box that didn't have a screen. Because after all, it's just sure. a box. You know? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Why? And there, there are a lot of different, I think at any given point, there are a lot of different programs running inside any one of our, our minds as well. Uh, for example, one of the programs that's running in my mind as we talk is, is this conversation productive and useful for the audience listening to it right now? And that's a question that is an, it's an open question that I have no idea about. First of all, because I have no idea who's listening. Second of all, because there is, how do I measure that? How do I measure whether this conversation in particular has any type of productive uh, value for someone listening? And then how do I measure value? And I think all of these things are programs that our culture sort of uh, insists on in essentially like, and so to me, that is actually something that is a, a side conversation to our conversation that in some ways is influencing our conversation. And my and I don't even know if it should be influencing our conversation. I don't know if that the cognitive task of having that play in the background is actually contributing anything to the conversation that we're having. And is that actually contributing to me being more present or is that taking me away in some sense from engaging in a, on a level that I might otherwise be able to engage with you on? So some of these programs are dictated into, are conditioned into the unconscious mind. And I think everyone experiences some of these programs that are playing uh, simultaneously with the, what's actually happening in reality with uh, the, the intention behind the conversation. Yeah, the all the juxtapositions and all the uh, contributions and all the things that go into what is contributing to uh, to a conversation, and you know how much is playing a role. What are what are some of the aspects of what's feeding our conversations? What's bringing our thinking forward? What do we have dominion over? Um, you know, who's making these decisions after all of what to talk about or what, you know, who, which comes first, the emotion or the explanation for the emotion, for instance, becomes another really interesting uh, topic. Right. Whether, um, you know, do we retrospectively explain um, why we feel the way we feel or right. is there, is there uh, or do we feel the way we feel because of what just happened? And, you know, we can go down this rabbit hole really pretty far, but you know, one of the things I'm really getting is 
Life is confusing on the one hand, if we try to fit it into the constructs of what we think is a time and space and, you know, solid matter continuum. And that level of confusion that takes it like is, is built on trying to grab onto something rather than just going with the flow of reality as it, as it unfolds. Yeah. 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 You know, it's interesting that what you're saying right now brings is just brought up a very interesting topic for me. And, and what that is, is what we typically call confidence is actually very much a sort of dis, the a feeling like one can distill the information that is being presented to themselves down into a simple enough construct that they can relax into feeling like they know what to do based on all of the information available that you can take all of that and distill enough of it down into feeling like, you know, what to do or what to say or whatever. And we, we call that confidence, but then it's, (laughs) that brings up a whole host of other questions about, uh, why are we calling that confidence? Uh, like, what, what exactly are we meaning by confidence? And my challenge that I like to give to myself is, can I be okay in the moment without having to have confidence? Can I be present enough with the unknown to be able to navigate a conversation without doing the thing of distilling down all of the available information into one sort of uh, thing that I can rest in as the known. Can I actually just hang out in the unknown and not have to feel this confidence that I know anything at all? And uh, so sort of as a, as a, a challenge to myself, I suppose, a philosophical challenge, that's the one I, one I think I, I frequently like to give to myself. Like, how much can I just hang out in the unknown without having to feel like I am confident? Interesting. You know, the illusion of confidence. I actually haven't taken, uh, as far as I can recall, haven't taken a lot of time to get that confidence in and of itself is straight bullshit 100% of the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's like this assumption that we can somehow know anything what is going on. And um, I mean, how arrogant and naive is it to think that we can somehow know what's going on in the vast universe of information and possibility that exists for us to have the arrogance and naivete to be able to even come up with something that we call a confidence is pretty uh, extraordinary. Yeah, this is extra- arrogant, hubris, self-righteous. Uh, you know, it's it's freaking nonsense entirely, and there, it's not even arguable that it's nonsense. Right? Like, like it's not even arguable. It's not even like, oh no, I'm confident because I know what's up. No, yeah, eh. Okay, I know you think you know what's up, but actually you don't, because how could you? And and uh, once we get there, my goodness, you know, I think there's time right now uh, before we blow up the airwaves that we should probably get on a commercial here so that we can 
you know, you slow down listeners that might, you know, they're probably at risk for pileups and stuff like that if they're driving. So <laughs> let's just let them chill for a minute. Can you bring on a commercial for us, please? Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Fred again. I wanted to explain to you a little bit about one of the names I have called the Undoctor. What is the Undoctor? Well, after about 15 years in the field of me being misaligned with what I was doing, because I was medicating people even knowing that medications were not the right answer, and I was diagnosing people even though I didn't always believe that they had the diagnosis that I said that they had, even though they did meet the criteria, etc. I like seeing humans for exactly who they are and who they're not, and not as a diagnosis. So in 2006, I began the process of becoming the undoctor. I unmedicated, undiagnosed, and then undoctrinated a bunch of people. Like people no longer had to come to a psychiatrist because their condition's clear. This isn't true for everyone. It may not be true for you, but for some folks who know that their diagnosis doesn't fit and who know that they don't want to keep going through with medications and don't want to be seen as someone who's defective or afflicted, this turned out to be a great intervention. Over time, I stopped doing that, and I no longer do a whole lot of conventional psychiatry. Now I just help people walk through their life and find their true voice. I connect with people straight up, not as if there's a power gradient between a doctor and a patient, but it's two humans connecting and resonating with each other. As it turns out, that's where all healing emanates from. So today, I've developed the Welcome to Humanity brand over the last six or seven years, and that really takes into consideration all of this it is self-explanatory basically each and every experience that we have with humanity is just as exquisite as another even if it's deeply from there we get to actually share these human experiences from there we get to resonate and connect and from there healing takes place i also have been helping people with their true voice and that's why you're here today at true voice with dr Fred. I help people find that true voice, really their authentic self, their core value system, and then deliver it effectively into a world that is eagerly awaiting to hear you. Without your voice, no one will ever hear you. And without your true voice, no one will ever know you. But with your true voice, you can find healing, peace, and love. True voice is what it takes to end all wars. So welcome to True Voice with Dr. Fred. All right. Nice. Love the advertisement, you know, very much yeah. in, in alignment with our conversation actually just now that we're just having, uh, yeah. you know, this, these, because I think it is without these deep philosophical questions, how do we know what's actually true? You know, how do we know what is a true voice without asking ourselves some of these very fundamental questions and uh, to me, the true voice component is it's an ongoing exercise of working regularly to decondition my own thinking from something that may have been imprinted from influences that are not truly myself. And I, uh, and I don't know that that process is ever 
I don't think it's ever complete. I think it's something that I can have a relative experience to. For example, I can notice is the behavior or is the thought that I am living with right now, is it my thought? Does it feel totally grounded in me? Or does it feel like something that I picked up from social media earlier today? Or does it feel like something that I learned from my parent 40 years ago? And that's a, there, there's no, that's an ongoing process of really reflecting And I will never know the answer, but I think I can only work to come closer to that place of authenticity. Yeah, that's fabulous, Sam. I I really, uh, I want to open up the phone lines here. I know last week we had a couple callers that we didn't pay attention to or didn't know about. But today, uh, if one comes on, Doug, if you can kind of let us know the phone number to call us if you want to schmooze with us and really take a look at this together is uh, 1-888-627-6008. It's 1-888-627-6008. If you want to come on and talk to Sam Morris and Dr. Fred, a little bit about what you're hearing or any kind of thoughts you might have uh, or questions or concerns about what we're saying. Maybe you know that you're confident. We would love to talk to you if you know you're confident. Or maybe you know that you couldn't be confident, and we would love to talk to you then as well. Or maybe you're confident that you couldn't be confident, which is also a really fascinating concept. Or it's also possible that you're not confident that whether or not you're confident. And, and that's another, really all four of those things are super interesting. We'd love to talk to you. If you and if you fit into some fifth category, especially want to talk to you then. Yeah, well, and especially if you're confident that Fred and I are both completely full of shit, I really want to hear from you. Yeah, that's be really super. <laughs> uh, you know, the look, when we talk about true voice, I think one thing that I, I'm hearing, because I, you know, I have made myself a brand called True Voice and a True Voice podcasting courses and, you know, Find Your True Voice is my most recent book which the listeners can find, by the way, at findyourtruevoicebook.com. That's findyourtruevoicebook.com. And if you sign up there, I'll actually send you a hard copy of the book and even pick up shipping. That's the kind of guy I am. And, uh, and I think you'll enjoy the book. I like writing the book. Um, I like reading the book. It takes a little deeper dive in what I mean by true voice. And one of the things that's important about true voice is what you're saying when you find your true voice is by no means the truth. It is where you're at in life at any given moment is what I'm calling true voice. So I would say that although Sam and I are questioning the whole notion of a universal truth about anything or any universal truth about what we might know or not know, what we're doing perhaps more than most is representing true voice by um, speaking to what is here for us now as we look at the world around us or as we explore what's so. There's something authentic about that and something that in, really, Sam, I would say in our conversation, see, the tendency is for me to feel a degree of healing uh, after our conversations, like there's, or even during our conversations, as if in this resonance of exploring what reality is or isn't, there's a healing that takes place in the idea that I can be heard or in the notion that I can at least hear you enough to confirm to you that I 
in fact, am listening to what you're saying. And that that's where true healing comes from. And that's where I'm saying true voice also comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting when we talk about something like true voice, because we have to kind of get past this notion of a right or a wrong voice. And I think that frequently we associate truth with right, uh, with Mm -hmm. correct, that, that there is a correct way of seeing the world, that there's a correct way that we should individually see the world. There's a correct way that we should collectively see the world. And, I think we have to completely abandon that notion of right, wrong, good, bad, correct, incorrect, and all dualities completely in order to really embody something that we can resonate with as truth. Like when I'm speaking to you right now, I'm not trying to be correct in my in my thinking, I, I, I am completely open to all opinions and perspectives that I have being complete nonsense, or just at least at a very minimum, just a, a small sort of fraction of a potential perspective <laughs> that is a much more involved perspective. Uh, so so I, I think that to take the sort of weighty judgment off of truth versus non-truth, I think we have to do just that, remove all judgment around what is true. Because for someone, what their truth is, is completely different from what my truth is. And someone is going to resonate with my voice and my perspective. And then there's a lot of others who are going to completely not resonate with my voice and my perspective. And that is okay. Exactly. Yeah, there's a, there's a, um, well, yeah, okay, yeah, there's a, there's a feeling that we can learn from, you know, we can learn from each other. Um, we, you know, there, there, there's something like what you have to say is a contribution to a greater sense of truth. Um, and, you know, and I, I really, I guess I really like what you're saying. This idea of, is it good to be closer to the truth, right? Is it better to be closer to the truth? Is, it, is life better when I'm living uh, from within an illusion of being near a truth? Um, I, I, I tend to, I tend to do, uh, you know, I tend, I tend to collapse that, um, you know, conflate that, that, Yes, I want to be closer to a truth or the truth because life is better from seeing it from a perspective of somewhere where I'm confident that I'm closer to a truth than it is for from a place where I don't know what the hell's going on at all and have no concept whatsoever of the truth. That is very confusing and very, very disturbing, very, very, very disturbing, actually, and uh, can send me flying if, in fact, I'm not... Um, <clears throat> at least marginally confident that I'm dancing around a particular truth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah indeed. Um, I uh, completely uh, agree. I don't and I think, hear you. I thought, wonder, did you just go to mute? Let's see. No, no, I'm, I'm here. Do you hear me? Go ahead. You hear me? Yes. I got you now. Okay. You got me. Yeah. Uh, and, and 
it's 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 really interesting because it comes back to this whole notion that reality is completely constructed by us as an evolutionary survival mechanism that isn't actually pointing to any sort of absolute truth whatsoever. It's sort of navigating around a potential absolute truth, but it is not actually pointing to an absolute truth. So one could argue that my truth right now is actually an evolutionary survival mechanism in order to communicate with you effectively in order to feel a sense of groundedness and connection, but it actually isn't speaking to anything inherently true at all. And I have to be okay with that possibility. Yep. 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 Well, you know, the easy breakaway from here is something like, you know, what about those giants? You know, you can always go with like, what about those giants when, when we get too far down this rabbit hole, digging into this notion of reality. Um, you know, what are we going to do about about what there is to do? And, you know, sometimes I want to speak a little bit to the pain and suffering that comes from when all of a sudden... there's like a pain and suffering that has to be combated when all of a sudden I either a don't have a clue about anything and, and, you know, drive by that one for a second. And there's nothing very comforting about not knowing anything or B uh, that um, I know something and it's terrible. Mm. Like, Mm. you know, that both of those things sort of leave me completely helpless. Mm. Mm. So like over knowing something that I think I know that is terrible sort of equals the pain and suffering of not knowing anything and wishing I knew something. Yeah. What I hear is sort of a dance around nihilism in a way. Is this... How does that... Talk to me. Well, the the, with the the truth would be so terrible if it were to be fully acknowledged that the that are that there is this existential void that we all are participating in, and that the acknowledgement of would be so terrible or terrifying as as uh, that that we must somehow dance around it and try to come up with something that we can call a valid perspective of, of, of something that's known. And, and, and so it's, it's interesting that that's, that that is the case. And I can kind of relate to that. Uh, the way that I, I am relating to that actually is both, um, you know, Nietzsche and the Buddha essentially we're speaking of an existential void of a, a, a void of meaninglessness and, and of nothingness. Uh, but the, there is an entirely different interpretation based on which perspective you look at and the cultural influences that informed those perspectives. And one, one perspective, the nihilistic perspective would indicate that the meaninglessness is uh, indicative of a, a universe of nothing but a void of suffering, existential void of suffering and loneliness, essentially. 
where the Buddha would say, well, the same sort of meaninglessness ultimately exists, but within that nothingness is full possibility for enlightenment, that there is actually a possibility of enlightenment that exists within that void of nothingness. And so essentially they're pointing to the same direction, but with entirely different conclusions that came about as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really similar to what I'm saying. You're right. That zero and maximum um, cause the same pain, you know, that, or I, I guess that's not quite what the Buddha and Nietzsche is saying, but there's this idea of making uh, some assumptions based on what you know or don't, don't know about something like, you know, like creating a world around a particular fact that if that is so, then this and all this is also can be assumed to be so. And my goodness, it is a swirl, you know, it is, it is a swirl and it's something that, um, you know, where, where, where it, 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 where is comfort and where is there such thing really as being comfortable? And is, if there is, is it worth pursuing at all? Well, and, and I think that this is, you know, without putting words into the Buddha's mouth, I, I, <clears throat> I feel like I can kind of understand the notion behind uh, where he was, uh, or, and I say he, but I'm really talking about an entire sort of uh, philosophical tradition where this notion of uh, dropping attachment, letting go of attachment to, to things that are finite, that uh, that's the basis behind Buddhist philosophy is that the things that we attach ourselves to that are finite, that will go away, ultimately cause us suffering because we're not able to enter the void free and naked. It's like, if we're going to be in that void, we have to be naked in the void with no theoretical possessions, whether that possession is a vehicle or money or clothing or a spouse or whatever. It's a, it's going into that void, but existentially naked. And that that is the only way to actually experience the void without the anxiety that accompanies that level of honesty that is required. You know, the, uh, one of the things today in my, one of my talks, I, I spoke, uh, you know, I spoke to sort of the flow, uh, the idea of flow as being the answer that if I can keep myself breathing, keep myself drinking water, keep myself moving, keep myself writing, keep myself creating, you know, not reach out to try to grab or understand or own something, but just kind of flow with the possibility that you never really enter uh, the same river twice. Um, that there's a peace to be had once I get on the train of constant flow and movement that doesn't have me with the illusion that I can reach out and grab something to explain or touch or, uh, or, or even be with in a moment, you know, there's, there's some sort of, uh, mm, what some sort of, um, what do you call it? Like there's a, uh, like a dichotomy, you know, like a, uh, like a conflict, like a, a conflict of 
being in the now, but not being able to describe the now, because once I describe it, it's gone and it wasn't, it, it wasn't what I thought it was anyways, that the limitation of words and linear thinking to explain and then deliver to another what now is about uh, immediately uh, creates a, a, a massive disruption in what now really is. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, I get it. And I think this is where um, we as human beings have, have conflated things and obfuscated things uh, tremendously through our uh, brilliant intelligence, which uh, has in many respects have kind of, has kind of gone off the rails uh, because of our, uh, our, the, the ways in which we have created uh, psychological traditions, religious traditions, philosophical traditions, which are really an attempt to protect ourselves from the environment. And if we look at the environment itself, we look at everything outside of us in nature, we see things living and dying in the now all the time. It's, there's just this constant process. The, the, the intelligence of the ecosystem is doing its own thing. We don't have to manage it. It's just doing its own thing. It always is. Animals and plants are living and dying all the time. They're interacting with each other. Something's death is something else's nourishment, etc., but on some level, as human beings, we look at that and we go, well, that's terrifying because we don't like, we don't want to participate in that living and dying thing. We'd like to, we'd like to protect something forever. And I think there's part of us that recognizes its eternal nature and says, well, if everything else is living and dying, but I want to be eternal, I better protect myself as much as possible from nature in order to, so that I can be, experience my eternal self. I, I need to protect myself from the consequences that all other things in nature have to go through, but we can't actually protect ourselves from those consequences. And so we create these sort of intellectual uh, rationalizations for our behaviors and our thinking and our philosophical and religious traditions to try to protect ourselves from the inevitability of, of life and death happening. But if we sort of learn how to just drop the attachment to trying to exist forever and getting that if there is anything that exists forever and is supposed to exist forever, then it will exist forever independent of our needs to try to control it then we can participate with nature and free of the anxieties that are unique to human beings. Yeah, we're all very, 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 very aware and, and uh, at various levels entirely terrified of this constant concern about dying. Um, <clears throat> When in fact it is, in, uh, amongst all things, I mean, it, it's right up there with the most inevitable thing that, and maybe the only inevitable thing that this life has to offer. So that's a bad combination to be solely terrified of the only thing that life has to offer. That would seem like that's a bad combination. And, you know, um, 
we're so terrified of dying that we're willing to kill ourselves in order to avoid it. You know, it's yeah, pretty a, bad. We're doing there's that. a little irony right there, isn't that? That's the ultimate irony, isn't it? That we are willing to kill ourselves in order to try to prevent dying. That's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That just shows how completely crazy this human species is. <laughs> really, to say the least. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, it looks like we didn't get any calls. Let me see. Uh, yeah, no no calls. Well, I think we should consider tapering off this call. So um, it's been a powerful conversation, and somehow I'm left no further along or no no further behind where I was when we started. I, you know, I mean. It seems like a good place to be. Yeah kind of yeah. disappointed wanted to get somewhere but you know well, but getting somewhere you know well there th- therein is another program this notion of forward progress yes, you know sure. therein therein is another attachment this whole notion of growth forward progress i mean even if we think about uh growth who was it who so i was just hearing this uh uh earlier today actually some philosopher or something talking about well why would anyone just want to grow perpetually? Like what's the whole, why would we want to do, what does that even mean? And why are we even using that metaphor of growth to describe our own psyches and our own, I mean, that it's a, that that's a whole other rabbit hole that we're going to go down this notion of growth that we're somehow supposed to be farther along at the end of a particular time period than we were before that time period. What a, that's another uh, little trick that the mind plays. Oh my goodness. Oh, us humans. We are, we are really, uh, we're really a humorous bunch, aren't we? Really uh, absurd, ludicrous, beautiful, amazing, brilliant, and entirely stupid at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I encourage us to stay ludicrous. It's kind of entertaining. Be ludicrous. Be ludicrous. That's what what we're going to title this particular episode of True Voice with Dr. Fred. Sam, I want to thank you again for coming on on short notice. I'll see you in a little bit. We'll have some dinner. Uh, Thanks for uh, making this happen. Um, uh, to uh, To the production team, thank you so much for making this happen. What a cool episode. Thanks for bringing this whole thing together. And uh, it's time now to say au revoir. It's time now to say shalom, arrivederci, ciao. And so it's time from uh, the undoctor, Dr. Fred, to remind you that if you really have something you want to talk to me about, if there's something out there that you want to look at, if you want to take on putting your true voice together, uh, we have a new methodology and a new course that we're offering called Find Your True Voice. It's a, it's a uh, self-paced course. Uh, that really takes a look at, um, you know, uh, again, deeper dives to make that happen. It's uh, uh, really looks at ways to not only discover your true voice, but methodologies that might be put into place to have you deliver that true voice, whatever that is. And sometimes true voice comes in the form of silence or just in the form of listening. So true voice is a broad definition, then give me a call or give me an email at, at drfred at welcometohumanity.net. Um, also, if you want to take a look at uh, um, other ways that I can be useful or maybe have a uh, speaking engagement at your at your corporation or any kind of small group, I love giving this talk about really the uh, 
the idea of getting your voice out into a room and getting applauded for it, as well as finding that true voice, as well as, you know, many other topics that I can cover uh, to really bring productivity back to a workplace or to bring real human connection back to uh, a team or a small group that may have lost that connection and is now feeling a little bit lost uh, as a group. So give me a call or reach me, reach out to me at my website, welcometohumanity.net, or email me at drfred at welcometohumanity.net, and I can't wait to speak with you. Again, Sam, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Doug, for taking good care of us, and uh, we will catch you on the flip side. Welcome, and thank you for being at another under- unbelievable episode. Stay ludicrous, folks. What's that? Stay ludicrous. Stay ludicrous. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and I just wanted to thank you for getting through another episode of True Voice with Dr. Fred. Wasn't that great? It is so much fun to interact with people and then interact with my listenership about really finding True Voice and then bringing it forward. I really have never done anything more important than this, and I'm finally aligned with myself by helping others find their true voice. Let's find your alignment. What do you really want in your life? 